Hey, this morning uh, we're joined by one of my friends and a friend of uh, this house, Pastor Jasmine Tate. Pastor Jasmine is on staff at Mercy Culture as their worship pastor in Fort Worth, Texas. And God is doing really some incredible things uh, in and through that movement in the DFW Metroplex. Uh, Pastor Jasmine and I have had the privilege of being in Israel together, ministering at different conferences together. And was one of those people that as soon as I met, I was like, this one is my friend. We're going to be friends because we think alike and talk alike and, and, and share some values and, 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 and some spiritual stuff that, that I, I think is important for this house. And as we've been thinking in this season about people that we want to invite in to speak into what God is doing here at The Pursuit, Pastor Jasmine was honestly one of the people who was on the top of my list. And so it's a great privilege and a great honor to be joined by a powerful woman of God this morning. Would you guys stand to your feet? Help me welcome Pastor Jasmine Tate. I gotta have a mic to start a thing. Good morning, Pursuit. Good morning. Thanks for uh, welcoming me this morning. Uh, it's an honor to be with y'all. Uh, Seattle uh, came in from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Pastor Landon and Heather Schott. Yeah. You know them? I believe Pastor Heather was here with y'all a few weeks ago, correct? Yeah. Um, well, I'm honored to be here as well, representing Mercy Culture. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, I'm wearing a green beanie, and I'm really passionate about it, especially because it's cold here to me. Um, yeah, so in Texas, it's in the hundreds. Uh, so this is my fall, this little trip right here. This is my only fall experience for the year, I think. So uh, I'm, I'm loving it, uh, but it is a little chilly to me. And this is like summer to you guys. You guys got shorts on, look at you. Look at you guys. Uh, but no, I'm honored to be here. I brought some friends with me. Uh, last time I was here, I brought friends with me as well. And it's the same friends uh, from our creative community, Axel uh, at Mercy Culture. Can you guys just wave, friends wave it? There you go. Uh, so I'm glad to have them with us. Um, Pastor Russell, Maria, thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, Pastor Russell was just talking about how, how many times we met and been with each other on the road and stuff. And uh, I remember meeting him at rec for the first time and just thinking, who is this guy? Super prophetic, so much swag, and like a nerd, like all at the same time, like all, like, all in the same human. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, uh, but no, honestly, he has blessed my life. And it's kind of awkward when somebody like calls you their, their friend, but you didn't like call them your friend. So I just want to say like, you're my friend too, bro. Like, I love you. Uh, but he gave me a prophetic word when we were in Israel together that changed the trajectory of my life, prophesied that I'd be serving alongside Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather. And uh, at that time, I wasn't, I didn't know if I was going to be doing that. So I uh, honor this man and this woman, uh, this house, and thankful to be with you all this morning. So, uh, all right, let's jump in. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. You guys have Bibles in Seattle? Uh, can you guys... Turn, take your Bibles, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Uh, let's read. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Say, be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The title of this message this morning is The War Over Your Worship. Now, this passage is super familiar. We all are familiar with uh, Jesus in the wilderness and the temptations that came in, in that place. Uh, but let's just, just to give an overview of where we're going this morning, let's look at verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This entire conversation was building up to this one point. He said, fall down and worship me. The enemy tried to make it about, tried to make it seem like it was about the earthly authority and Jesus' position. Uh, but he, he knew the entire time the conversation was, was happening that this was only about Jesus' worship. Uh, he knew, Jesus also knew it. Uh, because his, he had an extremely direct response to him. He said, be gone, Satan. Uh, or like pa Pastor Russell was saying this morning, uh, not today is essentially what he said. That's like the Jasmine Tate translation. Uh, but in verse 11, he said, then the devil left him. And after this, Jesus entered into his ministry, moving into great authority. Uh, so what happened here? Why did Jesus move into great authority after that happened? Well, I believe it's because Jesus refused to forfeit his worship. When you forfeit your worship, you forfeit your authority. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, we, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We honor you in this place. Lord, we just say we, we never want to take your presence for granted. So we just ask you, do what only you can do in our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that are tender to receive from you. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the word? Show us Jesus this morning. Yeah, we want whatever you want in the room this morning, Holy Spirit. I pray that you put your words in my mouth, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen? So as I was praying for this community um, over the last few weeks, I kept hearing this phrase. And the phrase is... It's all a war over your worship. And I felt like that was the assignment that the Lord gave me this weekend was to bring this word to you guys. Uh, and some of you may be asking, well, what war, Jasmine? What's the word that is over our worship? Uh, well, 2020 feels like a war to me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, been a lot going on in 2020. Uh, obviously, there's COVID that's been going on. There's a pretty intense political climate right now. There's racial tension. A lot of things happening all at the same time, uh, which I just... I, I want to highlight that um, you guys are, are very important right now. Uh, the eyes of America are watching you. The eyes of America are watching the Pacific Northwest right now. 
the body of Christ is watching the Pacific Northwest right now saying, Jesus, what, what, are you, what are you going to do? What are you doing there? I remember getting here just over the last few days and talking to Pastor Russell and just saying, what's the body of Christ doing in the midst of all of this in Seattle right now? And, and what an honor it is for you guys to be right in the eye, right in the eye of the nation that everybody's looking to see because we know that uh, when, when, when the eyes are, are watching, Jesus, Jesus responded to Zacchaeus because he was looking for him. He showed up in Zacchaeus' life because he was searching for him. And I believe that as the nation is looking, we're looking for Jesus, we're looking for hope, and I believe we'll find a picture and representation of his hope in this city. Uh, and what a good place for you guys to be. What a good place for Pursuit Northwest to be right in the middle of everything that's happening right now. Uh, I, I'm, I just, I love that you guys are here. I, I love that uh, Pastor Russell and Maria, that y'all are here in the midst of everything that's happening. Um, some people have asked me, oh, well, Jasmine, how has this season been for you? Well, it's been a lot, but the word that comes to mind is that it's been a polarizing season. Um, there are extremes that are being highlighted all of the time. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's just extremes everywhere, and there's a constant pressure to take up a certain position in every issue that's happening. Um, everybody's wondering, what's your position? Where are you going to stand in the midst of this? Where are you going to? And and but the the question that comes up in the in the polarization of this time is is always, are you an ally or are you an enemy? Everybody's looking around with that question in their heart, and so they're, they they have they have made an enemy of people that were never designed to be their enemy. That God never intended to be your enemy, but they became your enemy because you, because of the polarization of this season. If they stand on a different extreme than you stand on, now they're your enemy. But that's not how Jesus viewed it. Uh, while while praying uh, in the midst of some of the racial tension that was happening, I remember just asked. I, I I was grieving, and I said, "Lord, what do you want me to do? What what's in your heart? What what do you want from me?" And I I heard the Lord say, "I need you to be a bridge in this season, Jasmine." Uh, which I just want to take a moment and, and thank you guys. I, I noticed in the midst of uh, a lot of the height of the racial tension that was happening on social media, I noticed that you guys did a march and that you guys were praying and just different things that you guys were doing as a, as a body. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I, I, I just feel loved as a sister, as a friend of this house uh, that happens to be black. I don't know if y'all know this, I'm black. I don't know if y'all know that. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your stance. Thank you for not allowing uh, the worldly agendas to taint or silence your stance for justice because God cares about justice. Uh, and so th I just want to say thank you guys. But uh, in the midst of asking him what he wanted me to do, he said, I want you to be a bridge. And what I realized about a bridge is that it's a heart posture. It's not a position. So a bridge is really interesting. It, it actually has a, its footing on two different sides, two different parts of land, two different extremes, if you will, uh, but it's the tension that actually make the, makes the bridge usable. It's the tension in the middle. It's being able to stand in the tension and, and hear the heart of the Father and know what he's saying. And, and, and I realized I can't actually be a bridge in a moment like this uh, if I'm not willing to stand in the tension with Jesus and have a heart posture of worship, hungry to hear what his heart is and what he's saying. Uh, and so uh, this question of are you an ally or an enemy, uh, Paul directly addresses this type of heart posture. Uh, in Ephesians 6.12, you guys know the scripture. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of heavenly and the heavenly places. Like, it, what I love about this scripture is that Paul is, uh, he's basically making it very obvious that there is, in fact, a war that is happening. He, he's not acting like there's not a war that's going on, but 
the, the fact that he's acknowledging it, the way that he's acknowledging it lets us know that maybe that the people who he was talking to, the church of Ephesus, that they had maybe put their attention on the wrong thing. That they had made something the point that was never supposed to actually be the point the whole time. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You guys made that the point. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the enemy the whole time. But you were putting your attention there. And he says, there's something greater that you should be focusing on right now that is not locked up in, in fleshly things and carnal matters. And I, I love that, that he didn't uh, act like that there wasn't a war happening. He's like, no, 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 there's a war. But you have to focus on the right thing. You have to remember the point of all of this. Uh, and, and really, again, I, I feel like the message for you guys today that, I'm, that, I'm, that God gave me to bring is that the point is there's a war over your worship. In the midst of everything that's happening in this moment, in the Pacific Northwest, in your life, in your family, in your health, in your finances, in your job, it's all a war over your worship. And so let's, let's go to the text this morning, uh, Matthew 4, the original text that we went to. Um, let's just talk about it. So uh, you have to kind of go back to Matthew 3 to understand what's happening. But basically Jesus was off the scene for, for a long time and then he pops up. And did you guys hear that? That little squeak in my voice? Just, you know, we're friends. I got to tell you this awkward moment that just happened. So Jesus pops up and he gets baptized uh, by John the Baptist. And right after he gets baptized, uh, God the Father speaks identity over him. In verse 17 it says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, I love this because God could have said anything in this moment. This is a moment Jesus the one that everybody was waiting for, where he was baptized, and God splits the sky, and this is, this is a big moment. And the thing that he chooses to, rec to, to address is Jesus' sonship. He could have addressed his kingship. He could have addressed his, being the king of glory, the prince of peace. Like he could have said so many other things, but he chose to first reveal him as a son, which meant that he was also revealing himself as a father. And so I believe that that was the father saying, yes, there's true authority and identity that's being released right now. But he's going to walk in authority because of his identity. His relationship to me as a father is the authority that he will walk in in the earth. And so this was his authority. Uh, and so right after this, he has this big ordination moment, essentially. He gets baptized. God is like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes right into ministry, right? Wrong. That's not what happens. I don't know if you guys, do you guys read the Bible? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm talking about. Okay, so that's not what happens. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 is what happens next. And so uh, after, it says that in verse 2, Matthew 4, it says, after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. So I just want to highlight, this is hangry Jesus, okay? So like, like, you guys know what it's like when you finish a fast, and then you're like, you have your plan for your first meal. Like, the first meal is planned. You know exactly where you're going to eat, your favorite meal. Like, you know what's up. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is a fasting church. Can I get an amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, so we know that. And so Jesus, this is after the 40 days. And then Satan shows up. This is hangry Jesus. So I just want to address the way that he, uh, the way that he talks to, to Satan is very direct. And he uses scripture. And so... Take note of that, that this, one of the, the most prominent pictures that we have of how Jesus related to the enemy was that he was very direct and that he also used scripture. So that's something we should pay attention to because it's probably something that we should do in a moment where we're being tempted as well, right? 
he, he didn't try to argue with the enemy. There's nothing to argue. You can't argue with a liar. That's kind of a waste of time. So there's nothing to argue about. And uh, in, in the scripture is beautiful because it's the word of God. That's the power of God is the word of God. And so Jesus knew that. He recognized that. And so we have to have the scripture, the word of God in us in order for it to come out of us in times of pressure. That's just like a little side nugget right there. We're not even going there. But like Matthew 4, verse 3, it says, this is the first, uh, the first time that Satan tempted Jesus. It's, he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, I just want to highlight, this is, this is Satan's first temptation to Jesus, and it is regarding his authority and his identity as a son. Now, just right before this, in the chapter right before this that we just read, God opens the heavens and he identifies Jesus as his son. He just spoke identity over him. He just said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, he just had that moment. And literally, the next moment is the enemy coming to him saying, if you are the son of God. And so, I believe that the enemy recognized that there was authority in his identity. He recognized that there was authority in his sonship. So he came for the very thing that the father had just declared over him. And I just want to highlight true sonship where our authority is, is hidden is when we believe everything that the father has to say about us. And when we live our life from that place, that's our place of authority. When we believe him, when we believe what he said about us, and when we live our life from that posture, our, our heart being postured in that way towards him. Uh, and so after that, Satan comes back and he says, uh, in verse, where is it? Verse five. So then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And so basically this second temptation was regarding his father's authority in nature. So the first temptation was regarding his authority and his identity. The second time he came around, now he's saying, so I thought your father was good. If he's so good, well, how come he doesn't help you right now? How come he doesn't change anything? Anybody ever experienced that in seasons where the enemy will come to you and begin to tempt you regarding the father's nature, regarding the father's character? I believe even in, in moments like this, in the midst of COVID, there's things with jobs happening and finances happening, and the enemy will come in in moments like this and say, I thought you said he was your provider. Remember that time you sang that song about him being provider? Are you sure that's true about him? In this season, like, is that is that really is he really who he says he is? Like, that's how he comes. But I think the tricky part is uh, we we think that when the enemy comes for our identity, when he comes for the father's nature, and when he comes in that way, we kind of think that it's just about that. We think that he's just putting his hand, his cards on the table. Like, this is what he's really after. And I just want to highlight the next temptation actually shows what all of this was about the entire time. And we already read it, so you guys, I kind of did like a spoiler earlier so you guys kind of know what's about to happen right here right uh that's that, yeah that's awkward so verse eight it says it says again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these i will give you if you will fall down and worship me now this moment like i said it seems like it's about position or influence he's saying i'll give you the kingdoms of the world I'll give you the glory if I can have your worship. Now, if you're willing to trade something, it's probably a good indication that you don't believe that there's value in that thing. It's kind of like, you know, like tradesies at lunch, you know what I'm talking about? Back in the day, lunchroom table, y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't do lunch in Seattle? 
Uh, but like, you know, with the little kids, and you come to the table, you got your little Doritos, your little PB&J, and there's the kid that comes with tuna. You know what I'm saying? It's different. Tuna, you don't know his mom, you don't know where the tuna came from. But like, it's like that kid trying to trade with you tuna for your PB&J and Doritos. I'm not having it because that tuna's not as good as my mama's PB&J or as good as my Doritos. You know what I'm saying? So like, we don't trade the things that we believe there's value in. It doesn't work like that. And so the fact that the enemy is saying, hey, I'll trade you the kingdoms and the glory if you'll bow down and worship me, let's, let's us know the devil's not dumb. Like he didn't know, he, he knew that the value was actually in the worship, that it was actually in Jesus' posture. And it's interesting, he didn't just say worship me. He said if you bow down, if you fall down and worship me. It was about his posture. It was about his heart. It's about how he, how he was coming. Uh, and and it, when we are, when we're being confronted by a temptation to fight for a position or influence, remember this. It's, it's, it's right in the scripture. It's never about position. It's always about your posture. And so verse 9, it says, says, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Uh, Satan knew that if he could get Jesus to forfeit his worship, then he would get Jesus to forfeit his authority. He understood that all of this was really about Jesus' authority. It was his worship but his authority was directly connected to his, to his worship. Uh, so you say, what, what's the significance of bowing down? Why does he need to fall down and worship him? Well, you know, in, in a lot of different cultures, bowing down is a, it's a posture of worship. It's a posture of honor uh, in, in several different cultures. And so I, I love it because it's a, it's a position where one of the only positions, unless you do like, weird stretches or yoga or something, I don't know, where like your, your head is actually below your heart. If you bow, it means your head, your high place has to go low. It is your intellect submitting to your intimacy. It's your mind submitting to your heart. And I believe that that was, that was the posture that the, the enemy was after. He wanted that posture. He wanted that worship from, from Jesus. And, and this, this, this posture of bowing down, it is synonymous with worship, as we're saying. But, like, understand this, that this, this worship, there's two important principles here. It, it is that your identity is locked up in whoever you bow to. Your identity is actually hidden in your worship. Uh, so how do you know that, Jasmine? Come on, say it. How do you know that, Jasmine? Psalm 135, go to Psalm 135, 15 through 18. Let's look at that real quick. Uh, Pastor Russell was uh, quoting it earlier. I don't know if it was in the first or the second service. Uh, but it says, the idols of the nation are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear nor is there any breath in their mouths. And then catch this verse, verse 18. It says, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is a kind of a strange scripture. He's saying if you worship these idols, you'll be like them. They don't have eyes. They don't have ears. They can't speak. They can't see. If you work, but he says in verse 18, those who make them, as you make idols, you actually become like them. So it's like, man, how come I can't, how come I don't have vision in this season? Well, because I made an, an idol out of my understanding. I became like my idol. I was, I was making an idol out of my understanding, and now I cannot see. We, is Jesus saying, or this, this scripture is, is, is showing us there's actually identity that is locked up in whoever we will give our worship to. The second principle is that there is authority 
that is ascribed to whoever you bow to or whoever you worship to. Think about it. Your worship is your welcome. Whoever you worship, you're saying, yeah, come here. Come here. I want whatever you have here. If you, if I'm, if we're, when we're worshiping Jesus today, we're saying you're wonderful, you're beautiful, you're glorious. Us invite, when we're worshiping him, calling him beautiful, we're welcoming his beauty into the room. We'll welcome him to reveal himself as beauty in the room. Your worship is your welcome. So whoever you're worshiping, you are in fact giving them authority by the very act of worshiping them. So again, it is your identity being locked up in whoever you worship to and your authority is being ascribed to whoever you worship. So again, Satan knew the power of the bow. He knew if I can get Jesus to bow, if I can get him to worship, then I will get that. I will be able to take his authority. I'll be able to take his identity from him. And, and Jesus was not having it. Again, he said, not today. Verse 10, Jasmine Tate translation. Then Jesus said to him, not today, Satan. Or maybe that's Hillsong's translation. Be gone, Satan. Is that their song? I think it is. Uh, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus immediately cut to the point. Notice he did not even talk about the kingdoms that the, that the enemy offered to him. He didn't even bring it up. He just cut straight to the point. He said, no, I, you can't have my worship. You cannot have it. I will not give that to you. And then in verse 11, the enemy left. And I believe he left because he was under the authority of Jesus. Because Jesus was submitted to the Father. Every act of submitting your will to the Father is an act of worship. That's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, no, 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 like, I, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to move outside of my Father. He said, I do not, I only do what the Father is doing. And that act of submission to the Father as a son is what reserves his authority as a son. And so in Luke's account of the story, after all of this happened, wilderness moment uh, Satan gives these three temptations after all this happened it says Jesus left with power in Luke 14 it says Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went throughout all of the surrounding synagogues something was different something changed from before the wilderness to this moment there was something different about Jesus go to Luke 4 16 through 19 it says and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue and on, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So picture this. It's Jesus in the synagogue. He always comes here. It's as his custom. And he comes in. He stands up to read. He grabs the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls the scroll, and he looks for a specific place in the scroll. It says he found a specific place, and then he began to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You guys know that passage. That's Isaiah 61. And he says he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. This was like, like kind of gangster. Like this is like a whole moment where Jesus was like, I'm about to sit down now. Like I read it. I'm sitting down. So he sits down and it says that all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So imagine this moment. He just read the scroll. Everybody's looking at him. They're fixed on him. And it says he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now it says as his, it, was, it was his custom to do this. And so, in, but this time he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled. I believe Jesus was showing us 
that his, his act of submission, his act of worship, that he did not, that he refused to forfeit in the wilderness, in this moment we get to see Jesus is saying, now I'm going to move in authority. My authority has been reserved because my worship was reserved. And now, today, this scripture will be fulfilled. In essence, he's saying, now, heaven on earth. That is the passage of Isaiah 61. It is everything, the culture of heaven coming into the earth that we live in. And so Jesus is saying, now it's, it's time. It's game time. We're about to go in right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so it's all the time. It's been fulfilled. And then in Luke 4.32, it says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Everybody is noticing something's different about Jesus. He's walking in a different authority because of what happened with his worship in the desert place. When you, when you reserve your worship for the king, you gain the authority of the king. And if you have the authority of the king, you can release his kingdom wherever you go. Uh, who else understood this? The three Hebrew boys. You guys remember Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego? You guys remember them in the book of Daniel? So same, this is, I just love this so much. Daniel 3.11, a decree that went out from King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says, whoever does not fall down and worship these idols shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. You guys know the story. The people went and took them to the fire. And when they got to the furnace, it says that the people who went to throw them in, they actually died because of how, how bad the fire was. And it says that when they got put into the fire, they fell in bound. So they ended up on the ground bound in the fire. And then the king looks in and he notices they're standing and they're walking in there, but there's a fourth man in the fire with them. I love, I love this passage so much. They chose to worship their, they chose to reserve their worship for the rightful king. And as a result of them reserving their worship for the rightful king, they were not burned by the fire. They didn't bow, so they were not burned by the fire. And I, I love that it was, it was a picture of how they would have been limited by the authority of the idols that they had given their affections to. So if they would have worshipped that idol, they wouldn't have overcome the fire. They wouldn't. You could throw them in there. But if their affections were given to those idols, they wouldn't be able to overcome. Because it says that who, when we worship idols, we become like them. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get them to bow to idols. But like their ability to give their worship to the king made it so that they would not be overcome by the fire in a time of trial. And uh, that Jesus wants to do the same with us. He's saying, if you will reserve your worship for me, if you'll reserve your worship for the rightful king, everything that's happening, this war that we're talking about that's happening in 2020, all the things that are going on, the shaking that's happening in the world, you have to understand, you won't actually be burned by it if you give your worship to the correct place. It won't be able to touch you. I, I love, it says, it says that in Daniel 3.27 that the hair of their heads was not even singed. Their cloaks weren't even burned, they weren't harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. I mean, y'all ever been to a bonfire? Y'all know what I'm saying? You smell. I kind of like the smell a little bit, but like, after a bonfire, you smell like fire. Like, they were in a furnace and didn't even smell like fire. I believe that's what God wants to do with you in this season. That when, you step, when we step on the other side of this season, the people will be able to look at your life and say, man, I can't even tell that any of that happened. You don't even smell like the smoke of the fire that you went through in this season because your worship was in the right place. The enemy wants your worship because he wants your authority. Uh, I remember a, a year ago, I had a, a friend of mine, she got diagnosed with cancer. And 
that was the first time that the Lord ever spoke the phrase to me, it's all a war over your worship. Uh, I remember I was getting ready to leave worship at our church on Sunday, and uh, we had Saturday's re rehearsals because we were still setting up in a high school, and we had to rehearse on Saturdays, and so we did rehearsal on Saturday, and I was leading the song Champion. You guys know the song Champion? Yeah, yeah uh, it goes, I believe. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I couldn't remember the song. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won. So I'm singing this song, and my, my friend, I literally leave rehearsal Saturday afternoon, and I get the phone call that my friend died of cancer. And I'm scheduled to sing champion the next morning for worship. You know, I had a moment, began to weep in my car, and went home and began to just process with the Lord. And uh, I literally faced the same temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus. I found myself in my room processing this moment of, of what seemed like defeat to me in that moment. And uh, the enemy began to, to minister to me. You know the enemy can minister to you as well? If you entertain his thoughts, if you entertain his lies. The enemy began to minister to me in my bedroom. He was saying things like, well, you didn't pray enough. You didn't do the right thing. You've seen people raised from the dead. How come you couldn't raise her from the dead? How come Jesus, how come nothing happened in this moment? So he came after me. And then right after that, the next thing that came out was, well, I thought you said he was a good father. I thought you were just singing in rehearsal that he was a champion, that giants fall when he stands. How come cancer didn't fall when he stood? I remember just feeling the weight of those temptations and those offenses. I was being offered offenses towards the Lord in my room. And I had an opportunity to decide what I was going to do with them. And I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful because there was a moment where I felt the Lord say to me, this is all a war over your worship, Jasmine. Now, I, I don't believe that cancer was a war over my worship, but my response, it was about my response and, and I knew that the question was, what would my response be in the midst of grief? What would my response be in the midst of pain? Would it be worship? Or would I find idols to worship? Would I offer my worship to my understanding? And that was my temptation in this situation. I was trying to understand it. I wanted to figure out how come it didn't work. How come nothing happened? How come it didn't turn out the way that I expected it to turn out? And, 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 and my, my own understanding in this scenario became an idol for me. I spent more time meditating on it and focusing on it than I did the Lord. Understanding became my idol. And so I, I realized if the enemy could make my understanding an idol, it would cost me my obedience down the road. It wasn't even about that moment. Because your understanding is not a prerequisite for your obedience. It's really not. But if the enemy can get you stuck on the understanding, then you'll never obey the Lord. So that had become a, a, an idol for me. And, and I, I mean, I'm thankful I was able to go into my community on Sunday morning and literally offer a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship before the Lord, choosing to give it to the one who was worthy, even in the midst of the heartache, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the questions, even in the midst of the things that didn't turn out the way that I thought they were. He was still worthy. He didn't change in the midst of the scenario. Here's a life hack for you this morning. Worship even when you don't feel like it. Worship even when it's uncomfortable. Isaiah 45 says, every knee shall bow. That is a promise that this whole thing, 
everybody's going to end in worship. Every knee shall bow. It's a promise that all of this is going to end in worship. But what we have as sons and daughters is an opportunity to do it now. We have an opportunity to find him now in, in that place and in, in whatever place that he takes us. It's our destination, but it should also be our vehicle. You know, there's going to be people that when they see him, they'll wish they gave him their affections. When they see his eyes, when they see that he actually was holy, when they realize that they've never seen another one like him, they will wish they gave his affections, their affections to him. And we don't have to have that regret, my friends. We can literally give him that right now before that moment happens on this side of eternity. In closing, I'm just going to look at Matthew 27, 37 through 44. It says, and over his head, they put the charge against him. This is Jesus on the day he's being crucified. They put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Well, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So get this, he's hanging, he's on a high place hanging on the cross. I think it's interesting that the, that the crowd in that moment, the ones who were walking by, wagging their heads at him, that they sounded just like Satan in the desert. He's hanging on the cross, the savior of the world, and they're saying the same thing. How come you can't do something about this? Who are you? Are you the son of God or not? Can, how come the father is leaving you here? Is he a good father or not? How come he didn't provide for you in that moment? How come he didn't save that person that you thought they were going to, like, he's, he's trying, it's, it's an offer, another offering of offense that's sitting before him. And I love it because Jesus, in the same way, he did the unthinkable, the same thing that he did in the wilderness. He was hanging on the cross, and it says in verse 50, he cried out again with a loud voice, and it says he yielded up his spirit. His submission to the Father was his worship. He offered his worship to the Lord in that moment. The temptation in the desert prepared him for the temptation in the high place. It was, it was heavenly authority that was given to earthly influence. In Matthew 28, 18, just a little bit longer, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is a moment where now Jesus is saying, all authority on heaven and all authority on the earth, now I have. When he was in the wilderness, Satan tried to offer him authority on the earth. He said, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth and its glory. And now Jesus down the road, he's saying, no, no, no. Now I have authority in heaven and I have authority on the earth. Because I reserve my worship, not only do I have authority on the earth, but I have authority in heaven. And how many of you know you cannot see heaven come to the earth unless you also have a voice in heaven? 
You, don't, you, can't, you can't see heaven on earth unless you have a voice in heaven, unless you have authority in heavenly places. And as sons and daughters, when we worship Jesus, that is the authority that he wants to give us. That's why the enemy's after your worship, because he recognizes that's where your authority is. Jesus is saying, if you worship me, you can have my authority in the earth. If you worship me, you can see heaven come to earth wherever you are. If you worship me, you don't have to worry about what's happening in Seattle. You don't have to worry about what's happening in the Pacific Northwest because heaven will come because it's going to come through you. Because your worship wasn't forfeited in a season like this. It's all a war over your worship. When you worship, you activate your authority. Go ahead and just get up on your feet this, this, this morning. Satan knows that if he can get you to forfeit your worship, he can get you to forfeit your authority. Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning. I just, as I was praying into this, this morning, I felt like the Lord was saying that there are people in the room this morning that you have a desire to live a life laid down, but you've been keenly aware of the idols that have been set before you in this season. You've been keenly aware of the fear. You've been keenly aware of all your doubts. You've been keenly aware of all the things that you've put before him. And he's saying, yeah, but I want, I want your eyes. I want your affection. If you will give me your worship, I will give you my authority in your life, in your family, in your city this morning. Go ahead and close your eyes. Bow your head this morning. Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning.